0: Okay, this is Chris Angeles, and this is Right at the Fork. We are really honored today to have Piper Davis with us, who is one of the many people who uh, contribute to the success of Grand Central Bakery, which has seven locations here in Portland, and uh, I think I've been to probably all of them, and I'm pleased to have done so. Uh, Piper's mom started Grand Central in seattle actually it was called the bakery i believe and uh and then as some of the family migrated down to portland they started grand central bakery here and it has grown and it's virtually impossible to live in portland and not know about grand central bakery either through their shops um, or the restaurants that serve their great product so it is uh, a real pleasure to have met Piper and also discuss with her very nice conversation uh, which I think you'll enjoy we get into some areas we have never gotten into in this podcast so enjoy Piper Davis and of course if you would share this with your friends and family and loved ones uh, we'd appreciate it right at the fork.com and also food cat po- bah bah food podcast PDX on Twitter Okay, before I forget, and most importantly before you forget, check out Facebook for some giveaways that we'll be doing, not only because you want gift certificates to delicious places, but because you want to help us share the love. Hi. Hi Piper. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I have not met you, but I've had the good fortune of meeting a lot of your products oh, and a good. lot of your employees. I've been to quite a few of your uh, of your bakeries. Flash shops.
1: Yes. Do you have one that is your neighborhood? Often I meet people who say, "Mine is the Selwood store." Um, I guess
0: mine would be the uh, Multnomah Village uh-huh. store.
1: Yes, it's our busiest store.
0: Is it really? Mm-hmm. And why is that? I have a, I, I have a instant theory on that now that you mentioned it.
1: Uh, what is your theory? I'm there curious. just isn't a lot in the area. Exactly.
0: Um, I've you know I've uh, good friends with. Rick at Lardo, and I've been telling him you need to – someone needs to go southwest. West side. Yeah, west side. Uh, that's that west. When you say yeah. southwest, everybody's thinking downtown.
1: Yeah, no, deep west. There's a, It's a it's a good food desert out there.
0: Especially at <laughs> night. there's a, There are a couple of places to go to lunch, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, there's lots of opportunities. Yeah, so, Hill
1: still has some fun things going on in it.
0: I actually like – not – not to lead with this, but I like Baker and Spice a lot. I but.
1: love Baker and Spice. Julie and Matt are some of my best friends. Good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Felt a little uncomfortable bringing no, that up right no, up top. on go. a we go. <laughs> but um, I think
0: I love that. I love that spot. Yeah,
1: they are. They're great. Um,
0: but I've I've had a few nice experiences in Multnomah and elsewhere. Um, and uh, you've got a great thing going on.
1: Well, thank you.
0: And so. Talk a little bit about how you, your involvement. Your mom started Grand Central Bakery. Yes. And so uh, she's patched, passed the torch. Is she still involved? How's it?
1: Um, she is, you know, she always has opinions, um, as, as lovely mothers. You mother, can't too.
0: start a business like that and not have an opinion.
1: <laughs> um, she's lovely and wonderful in, the, in her um, trusting and support of us. Um, we're a funny, it's a funny. Um, kind of complicated but rich story where actually 40 years ago she and two friends opened a soup salad and sandwich shop in what was the building in downtown Seattle that held the Grand Central Hotel. Okay. And then there was a little, there was like a, a there was that time, she left it for a few years for us for 10, 10 years for us to, to raise us in eastern Washington on a farm. Found herself um widowed, in, uh, children gone to college, um, what am I gonna do with the rest of my life, and returned to what had been the business that was called The Bakery in that time, rechristened it at Grand Central, had been exposed to the amazing um, slow fermented, hearth-baked artisan breads that were just beginning to happen around the Bay Area, and decided I'm gonna start making this bread for our sandwiches in the cafe, and very soon the bread started to eclipse the cafe business and so then the wholesale business grew out of that. And then in the early 90s, my brother and a friend moved to Portland where I was living and opened our Hawthorne store and combined the kind of um, soup salad sandwich reality with the bread reality and created the concept that most people know as a Grand Central Cafe today, which is both a, an on-site bakery, and, but also in a lot of ways where you know lots of people know us for our sandwiches and soups and salads too. So we kind of are, um, we have two, we've kind of, I, I see it as, as sort of a as two kinds of businesses in the same, um, in the same building, <laughs> if that makes sense. I'm, I'm being very articulate so about is that. C- is
0: Seattle much a part of the equation any longer? Yes.
1: And so we, we are one company. Um, we have three stores in Seattle and a big wholesale production. So the other side of our business is, is that you see our breads in, in um Grocery stores and on great tables of you know amazing restaurants around town, and so in Seattle we have a big wholesale facility and three cafes, and down here we have sort of a similar sized wholesale facility and seven cafes.
0: Nice, yeah. And you are your title is culinary director. I'm
1: the culinary director, which, um, in a business like ours where we're where my I run the business with my brother, um, two of our best friends, two close friends in Seattle. And myself, and so we all have our titles, but we all do a lot of everything. And that's
0: business by committee. How it, does it... it
1: is business by committee, and it works some miraculous way. I just got out of a owners meeting, and we're all laughing and smiling and getting stuff done. It's a, it's, it's, it's kind of we have a a unique and complementary set of skills between us. But so that also
0: says a lot for the business that that things must be going well, because if they weren't, it wouldn't be as yeah, harmonious. I think
1: you're probably right. <laughs> But so as culinary director, what I do is I oversee the food, um, and then I also oversee kind of our, our message, our values. Um, I sort of lead our efforts in sustainable sourcing. Um, so I'm sort of the, the, the aesthetics person, I guess you would say.
0: So how do you lead that effort in sustainable sourcing?
1: <clears throat> well, um, we uh, it's a complicated yeah, it's, it's a, not easy. It's a complicated you thing. you have to stay
0: true to your mission.
1: We do. So we we our mission at Grand Central is to we we start with delicious food, and that's what we've always been about is quality. What's fun about that is that once you start, or interesting about that is once you start being obsessed with quality, all of a sudden, sustainable and local sourcing starts to support that mission, and so that then these tangential. Um, sort of values begin to support your mission of serving delicious food. And for us, you know, like sort of no better, there's no better example than tomatoes in a BLT that when you say, okay, we want to serve delicious food, we want to serve. So in order to serve a delicious BLT, you got to only serve it in the summer when tomatoes are in season. And then once you're buying seasonal tomatoes, then all of a sudden the best tasting ones you find are generally raised with the best practices. And so all of a sudden your, you know, your desire to, um, be committed to deliciousness becomes this commitment to environmental sustainability, and it's actually the same on the people side because it takes such high, highly skilled people to produce high quality food. That all of a sudden your mission—you you thought you were just trying to put delicious food on the table, and all of a sudden you have a mission to develop employees and pay the best compensation you can, and um, you know, so that you have this like—it's this double, these two sort of. Um, higher, you know, deliciousness is, you know, I mean, to me, it's a, it's a noble pursuit. <laughs> but well, the- it's also a good business pursuit, <laughs> yeah. in, especially in the Northwest. Yeah. You can't,
0: you can't just phone it in.
1: Yeah, exactly. But then, so underneath that becomes being a good employer, having progressive employment policies is the only way you can get people to be committed to making that delicious food, especially at our scale. And then, the sustainability side comes out of it from you know and and then for me once i once i got past the tomato this whole other world opened up where it was like okay now we got to think about the bacon and then you think about bacon at our volume and then a thousand questions come into play and so um, we have it's been a journey i don't ever if anybody says they're 100% sustainable 100% this 100% that i never trust them i believe that um that sustainability is a journey that we're all we all have to be on because we're just we're losing the battle every day, right? <laughs> so yeah, no, you're not. You're not it's... And and it's it's not that even in Portland, Oregon, the the job of of creating a sustainable food system is is only we we're only scratching the surface.
0: Right, but at least it's discussed here, and it's a it's, exactly it is it is the foundation from which so many. Work from whether they're actually genuine to that. They have to. They have to come back to that at some yes, point. Yes.
1: Yes. Exactly. And so, yeah. So you know, in terms of how we how we lead or how I lead in that way is I'm just we're just constantly asking questions. We're constantly tackling what what current issue what issue we get confronted with in our own education. Um, I'd say this year in 2013, our biggest accomplishment was to absolutely clean up our menu of any meat that was produced with any sort of um, like we, we were we were buying good meat, but there were a few little chinks in our armor, some salami, the occasional bacon that would come through that I wasn't exactly sure of the sourcing of. And so we, we developed production criteria. We were like, we we are not buying pork from any producers that ever, ever, ever use subtherapeutic antibiotics. There's a lot of talk right now about how about antibiotics in animal feed Mm used as a growth promote, and it is, I mean, the lion's share of pork and chicken in this country and a lot of pork and chicken on Portland plates is served subtherapeutic antibiotics as part of its routine diet in order to um, promote growth. So I've been, I'm very concerned about that as both an environmental and health issue. So we've... um, We've completely cleaned our menu of anything that is is not traceable down to the source and that I can't verify is clean 100%. And then the same thing with sort of outdoor access. Um, you know, we want, um, we always want to buy pork from animals that have been either have, are living outdoors or if they are indoor animals, that they live in deeply bedded pens and they're not on crates or concrete.
0: It's just terrible, terrible of me to ask, but how much of that? Uh, the whole sustainability issue and what you're doing in that regard is profit-driven and how much it just comes from the heart. In other words – Profit-driven? Well, I
1: mean – <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. Mark – no. Because you know, the worst, The best way to lose money in the food system well, is to care about sustainability.
0: Right. I understand <laughs> that. But that's also a part of the marketing equation. In this in this city, that's a big part of the marketing equation. It so, is. But, and that's what I meant. I wasn't really going. Yeah, I, mean, I know it costs you more. I was about to get to that. How much of that is... How far will you take that mission, I guess? W-
1: well, um, let's see. I... For us, it comes from – it. It we are actually – we've reversed – we've done this the wrong way. Like people are always – once people who know anything about the food movement come and like really talk to me and walk through our kitchens and see who we're buying things from and see how we're making things, they're like, you guys don't promote yourselves enough. What is your problem? And I'm always like, I try my best, but you. I have to be honest and we have to have integrity. And, and it's really complicated because I want to say – we all we, we support local farms, but we also support farms in Iowa.
0: But that's also, doesn't that, that message becomes a little quiet after a while because it's like a car dealer saying we have great service and great selection. Exactly. No one hears it exactly. after a while. So yeah. when you're talking, when you start to talk local, it's just part of the equation in this area. It, and so it's really hard to, to get that back.
1: Yeah, it is and there's a I think we're at a point where there's two things going on. There're a lot of produ- a lot of I mean, one education, yeah, it's so complicated. I can't even learn anything about it. Now we've gotten into the dirt so quickly here. Um, <laughs> but I guess back to your initial question about how much is is marketing driven. For us at Grand Central, very little of it is marketing driven okay, because that's... it came It has come out of, I mean, authentically. It's come out of just my desire, our desire to do the right thing and serve delicious food. We realize that in order to do that, we have to find customers who share our values. In order to market, in order for them to feel like they're getting value from our products, we have to communicate and connect with those customers who share our values. Mm -hmm. So I look at it more as sort of like an information sharing and kind of a matchmaking thing to say we're doing this, and we anybody who's interested in this. Should come and buy stuff from us because we're here doing this. In the bigger market, I think that there is a. I think that a lot of the Portland food scene is resting on the laurels of of um, what the New York Times thinks about us mm-hmm. as a sustainable. And that um, that when you really know what the what the the challenges that our family scale farmers in our region face, it's it's. Um, to, to just be like we've got this done we have a sustainable food system people are talking about it it, it, it can't is be naive. easy
0: to live up to that that standard I mean, it's, it's a well, huge standard it's
1: not even easy the the infrastructure does not exist to allow people to live up to that standard
0: is that bureaucratic or is that environmental mostly? it's
1: ever it's both it's I mean one we live in a we live in a, a we live in a very rich and productive region but we don't have for instance pork. We don't have a, a large-scale pork or poultry culture in Oregon. Like, Do, do you have, you, ever, you know, compared to Iowa or the South or any, I mean, you know, I, I can't forget, I forget what the statistic of what percentage of America's pork comes from Iowa alone. So, there there aren't the numbers of certain products. There aren't the, there's not the processing. So, um, the di- all the distribution, all the processing is really set up by the industrialized agriculture system to feed itself and so niche producers really struggle to distill today they struggle to get their get their products to market in anything beyond yes CSAs and farmers markets and direct marketing are awesome ways but once you want to um, scale that commitment mm-hmm. there's there is no I mean I you know, I know so many producers who are like, if you know, I make this amazing thing, but I don't have a way to get it to market because you're playing in an unfair. It's like it's not an it's not an even playing field when you're, um, you know, pick a. I'm trying to think of, of a great example, but any, I mean, any ingredient, um, the the main scale, highly processed, commercial, industrialized system is going to deliver it to the back door of your restaurant cheaper and more efficiently than a small scale producer. And until we figure out that infrastructure nugget and also get the mainline distributors, processors, and people who run the infrastructure to care about sustainability, that's the only way we're going to change it in my mind.
0: It's almost a chicken and the egg thing, though, because once you start to become larger, you lose that... It's it's like Portland itself. Mm -hmm. It's the 22nd largest market. And if it was like even Seattle or Los Angeles, it just wouldn't have... It wouldn't feel the same. So once you start... Growing and building, then it doesn't.
1: Although a funny thing about that is that we have found, as we've grown as a company, and we're still—I mean, yes, we're a big—you know—this year we'll be a twenty million dollar a year company between um, all our cafes and wholesale, which is a huge company. If you told me that twenty years ago, I would have been like, never. And um, but what we have found is that our our size actually allows us and um, to to have better. Practices because we actually provide an economic. We provide a real economic incentive, so we can bring producers along with us. And there are things, mm-hmm. you know. Yes, there are challenges when you have to get enough, um, well-sourced bacon, for instance, to meet the BLT supply for the summer. That's a challenge. But once you crack the nut, you've made a real, um, an authentic, and economically viable relationship. It's you're not dabbling in it. You're not. Um, and I, I love the Portland food community, and I'll probably make some enemies, but a lot of people will buy like one or two whole hogs a year from a small little producer and be like, I'm doing farm to table, I'm butchering in my restaurant, and the rest of the time they're buying pretty mainstream produced pork that they're putting on their their tables all the time. So I think there's a, and that is, that's great as setting example. It's like example.
0: The fine print in the bottom of the ad. Exactly.
1: And it's a, it's great in terms of setting an example for the greater culinary community of saying, this is what chefs are doing. We all should be looking for pork that's raised as well as this. But buying one or two hogs from somebody in Yamhill County a couple times a year isn't isn't changing the food system. I think it's great to do, but that's not getting more better raised food on a ton of tables. So we need to have we need to we need to create economic incentives. It is the big guys. It is I mean, we are teeny in the world of people that can really make a difference. You know, and that's where like the bon appetites and things that are happening at OHSU, a lot of times it's institutional buyers who are actually making some of the biggest changes in the food system because they have volume and scale.
0: So in terms of the Portland food world, you have some volume and scale that others don't have. So you can do some things. And also I would imagine some other smaller uh, bakeries and other mm-hmm. smaller shops are benefiting from your your size because now those those suppliers can go to them and say, well we can do this. We yeah. can handle this. Yeah,
1: I mean I, I would hope so. I mean I think our our flour production is kind of an example of that, the shepherd's grain that comes from and they're, you know, and they've grown beyond, you know, they used to just be a couple of producers. I think now they're I don't know, twenty or thirty um, wheat growers in, in the Palouse, and a lot of, yeah, you know, we came in as a big, uh, us and Hot Lips and a couple other people came in as, as big consumers, and now they have the infrastructure, they're part of the mainstream. You can buy a bag of shepherd's grain flour off the Cisco truck, and there's those are the interesting contradictions, you know, and everybody wants to diss FSA and Cisco, but often they're the ones who... They have the distribution. They have the distribution. They're good at it.
0: Um. I want to go back a little bit because it's it's in the conver- it's in the news a lot now. Um, you were talking about employment and what you do for your employees to make life better. Mm-hmm. What sort of things does Grand Central do that are that are helping the people who are at the lower end of the wage spectrum?
1: Um, well, we have we we provide um, full benefits um, after you know pretty sh- the when is it three months. Um, so we have a. We've always provided, you know, we have we've been above minimum wage forever. Um, we provide health insurance. We provide four hundred one k. We provide paid vacation. Um, we extend those benefits to family and children after a certain amount of time served. Um, and so that's not common. It in, is not in, common, in your and business. we've and we've been doing it forever. It's always been a part of what of our basic foundation of operational is that. That we should be providing living wages. I've been so proud of, you know, and I think this living wage conversation is really interesting because we, I see those people who are making somewhere between, you know, ten and fifteen dollars an hour, if if which isn't a lot, but once you provide someone like that with a four hundred one k plan, with health insurance, with some paid time off, um, all of a sudden, I mean, we have a lot of employees who have are raising families, buying homes, um, you know they are living on their bakery wages and it, and it's something i'm really proud of it also i mean so talk about profit driven yeah <laughs> no I'd... i am completely sure that that we get every we get a return on that investment in our in our employment force i mean those developing the skill like artisan bread like we are you know we make in portland we make 5 or 5 to 7000 loaves of artisan bread every day it's a ton of bread but it's not a factory it takes human skill, it takes judgment, it takes care, it takes awareness every single day. And if you're not compensating somebody adequately and if they don't feel good about where they're working, they're not gonna put that care into the bread every day. And mm-hmm. that's just the that's just the bottom line.
0: I don't, th- I have, and I may not be aware of it, but you haven't been out, and I think it's just a recent, it's in the last six months where this conversation mm-hmm. has come up a lot. Yeah. Um. But I haven't seen it out there. I think if I heard that message, I'd be, and I was heading down the street, Grand Central would be more top yeah, of mind. I know.
1: I need to, uh, we need to work on it because I, I don't want to be one of those you places know, you... where you walk into the cafe and you're assaulted by how great the location that, you know, the, the, um, um, you know, like Michael Pollan said it well when he talked about Whole Foods, you know, the narrative <laughs> that you experience when you walk through the store as opposed to like the real sense of culture. And I've always been. Affected by that, not that I, I think Whole Foods has done a lot of really great things for our food system, but um, so there's a there's a fine line. But I I hear that loud and clear, and I swear it's a um, it's a funny nut to crack because you have to change to change perception is really hard, and also it takes a lot of money, and paying for a lot of marketing makes it so you can't pay for health insurance. Well, also, <laughs> and so how do you?
0: <laughs> and also, it's Portland, Oregon, where. Everything kind of has to be organic and natural. And yeah. if you go out and talk about it, then it feels less genuine. Yeah. And and so all the goodwill that you're you're pouring on your employees is then kind of turned back at you. Yeah.
1: I guess in a in a subtle way, I hope that it comes through in the great customer service people get and in the delicious food they eat and that there is I mean, I know that. That a certain you know I have seen it. I've seen customers having a conversation with counter people about like we just did a big price increase on everything that has turkey and bacon in it because it um, because we were not making enough. We were we were losing money on turkey sandwiches because of what high quality products we're putting in it. And um, and I we you know I sat. I, I witnessed a conversation between a counter person and a customer talking about the price, talking about what else goes into it. And they said, "Well, and you know, we, you know, it also costs for a health I was like, "Oh my God! Can I put you on? You know, can I can I record this?" The 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 person behind the counter was explaining all the expenses that went into the sandwich to the person. And so, to me, if I can focus on our employees and our customer service and people, I think that in a lot of ways, that's a more authentic thing, but it's also a lot harder thing to do.
0: But I think you can get that message out there. I think we all, uh, everybody who criticizes Starbucks also knows that why it's a $4 or $5 uh-huh, Because
1: you... Because they're getting health insurance and exactly. living wages, and, so, yeah.
0: And I think that's okay. It starts to, it it softens the blow of a four yeah. or five, you, know, you start to understand it and it's, yeah. um, But, yeah, it's a conundrum on how to really get that message out and make it genuine and not exactly spend a lot of money on it. So um, Grand Central, what uh, other than the people, um, what do you think makes Grand Central bread stand out over others? And everybody, you know, it's everything's different. So, you know, there's no objective uh, better. There's subjective. I like this. I like that. But (laughs) what do you like best about your product?
1: Um well I I like the diversity and accessibility of our products. Like we're not just one kind of bakery, you know. Um, um I think that we have some of the, you know, kind of like most classically European style, thick crusted, slow fermented, you know, pungent our our peasant Levan is a classic example of a, you know, a loaf of bread you would have found in the country in France in the nineteenth century. I love that kind of like our um, sort of respect of those deep traditions, but I also enjoy our you know our potato hamburger bun that is on you know a bazillion burgers in this town, <laughs> you know, and it's not a classic European thing; it's an American thing, you know, and I love that too. And so I think you know our what we do at Grand Central, I think, is we provide this kind of broad. Um, And accessible, you know, you're not going to find a lot of bacon on, you know, on your desserts at Grand Central. We're just like not that kind of, you know, we're not, we're not the edgy where we like to be leaders. We like to be innovative, but we also want to be accessible and we just want it to taste good. You know, we want, we want it to taste good and feel good when you, when you walk away from it. So, we, you know, I don't want it to be the, like, biggest, fattiest sandwich you ever had because you often – I mean, I love those sandwiches, but you always don't feel that great when you – after the end of it, you know. Well,
0: also someone else can serve those sandwiches on your bread. And that's yeah, one of the exactly. cool things about Portland is people are aware enough so that on their menus they will yeah. list whose bread yeah. their sandwiches and their burgers are served on.
1: Yeah. No, it's great. And I think just in general, I think the Portland bakery scene is so rich and awesome that there's – it's, it's – um, and I – people are like, aren't you worried about your competition? I'm like, well, no, I still, I feel like, like, like I believe there is good and there is, I mean, I, (laughs) I want to own good. And I think there is, there's so much more good baked goods in Portland and such high quality products that I feel like we're going to kind of follow the, the craft brewing trend where, you know, 15 years ago, we thought we were done with micro brews, right? Not done, but we'd kind of hit like this. And now we're in this whole other world. I mean, the amount of local microbrews that are in the fred meyer beer department Mm -hmm. you know i have hope that we could that that the bread aisle could look like that you could have your choice of 10 delicious crusty loaves in the grocery store every day you know that i think i think we still need i think there's a there's still a lot of a lot of room for people to integrate delicious bread into their lives
0: so i have to ask and i pro i know you know uh it's a little uncomfortable I just wanted but I uh, no I'm getting I'm getting from you that you'll be okay with this question what are some of the smaller bakeries that you think sh- people should should try and love who are doing some really great things
1: oh well um, as we were talking about Kim, Baker and spice I think is amazing Matt and Julie do an awesome job I think fleur de lis is really good up in Hollywood um, Tim at little tea is great mm-hmm. um, Ken's is awesome Um you know, I think these aren't the little. I think the new season's bread department does an amazing job with artisan bread in a grocery store. I think
0: so too. Their um, their Kaiser roll, their burger that roll is good. Yeah, crusty,
1: fresh, and because they're baking it right there in the stores. Mm-hmm. Um. And then I've also been I'm charmed by some of the you know random order kind of started this but now a lot of the little coffee shops you'll see there's someone back there just making a few little muffins and this and that and just like scratch baking on site I just think is such a gift to the community that I am just you know I'm I'm tickled by what I see in all all around Portland often now in terms of just the level of basic like people are using good ingredients they're using good techniques and there's a there's a nice sense of Sort of authenticity to a lot of the food out there. It's great.
0: I can't say enough. I, you know, I love Portland. I really have fallen in love. Mm-hmm. I moved here in 2005. I cannot say enough for the fact that I could ask that question. And of course, I'm from the East Coast. So my first inclination is to say this might be uncomfortable for you, but it's not. It's Portland. Oh, so I go you're to perfectly those happy, but not only going to them, <laughs> but you're perfectly happy on a podcast that's talking about Grand Central to talk about some of the other bakeries. And I think that is that is what makes if you're going to if we're going to identify one thing about portland yes the the ingredients the chefs the creative community but to me it's the community of people who are all supporting one another and that's what makes it that's what makes it really special and different yeah so uh, i'm glad you you answered that and i wanted to ask you also um outside of bakeries some restaurants that you're really enjoying in portland
1: what do i love right now um it's i'm <laughs> I cook at home a lot, mm-hmm. so I'm always like, I don't, we don't go out a ton. Casa but de Piper? Yes, at Casa de Piper is, um, my friend Laura's house, things are pretty delicious. Julie's a good cook. Um, yeah, <laughs> all my friends, all my friends are, I think the best food in Portland is on, a lot, handles, is on so. a lot of people's, <laughs> a lot of people's tables. <laughs> but let's see, um, I, I really like, I like Clark Lewis a lot, um, mm-hmm. And it's not just because they're a great account of ours, but I think I think um, Kai, who's now there at, since Dolan's over at Blue Hour, I think he does a really nice job with seasonal stuff, and it has it there's a refinement. I I'm I think that. A certain amount of Portland's gotten a little bit lazy with our ingredients and just sort of like put a bunch of amazing ingredients on a plate and call it good, you know, and there's And things.
0: photograph it and put it on Instagram. Yeah.
1: And it's like, you know, I like the I like I like how sort of grown up they are. I think what I think I think Nostrana, you know, I wish I lived next door to Nostrana. I would go out more. <laughs> it's the kind of place that has a lot of the kind of food that would that tastes and feels good to me. Um where else do we like to go? Um just went to a, a cute place on mississippi for the first time the other day called radar that i thought was great mm-hmm. you know and i'm and i'm really happy to see those sort of places same with like Interurban. i live over there so it's but those like little places that used to just kind of be i mean maybe it's our take on a gastropub i'm, I'm not exactly sure what a gastropub is anymore but um you know these kind of it's casual what they want it to be. yeah you know but these casual places that have good food but they're not you don't know, need a reservation and there's not a line around the block Lovely's
0: um, 50-50? Lovely's,
1: yeah, yeah. I think that's great. Um, and you know, I still love to go sit at the bar at Higgins and have a burger. And you know, I'm always happy to be there. I mean, there's just there's so many.
0: It's hard, you so know. So many and it's great a hard places because you can go on and on, and you'll think of three yeah, when you walk out. And the it door. depends.
1: And I also find that I'm often just like you know, tickled and surprised by like, oh, I had, I, I sort of didn't even know this place was here, or. I didn't know they were doing this kind of food. And, you know, even, you know, like the other night I was, we, we got takeout from Podnas, you know, and I was like, I hadn't even, I hadn't been there for a long time. And I was like, this is really, really good barbecue, you know. <laughs> so it's just, you know, I think there's, we have, we have we have such a, there are a lot of riches in this town. In terms yeah. Of and they just keep coming. The yeah. The hits
0: just keep on coming. Yeah. Um, so it would, I'd be remiss in having a conversation with someone of your stature without talking about Gluten free.
1: <laughs> I thought that was going to be the uncomfortable question you were going to ask. No, me. I'm, I'm not going to
0: make it uncomfortable. I'm, I'm actually not even going to go into a very specific area on it. I'll just let you touch on what you're doing to satisfy that market, and then yeah, how how whether it's annoying to you to have as a <laughs> as a bakery to you know your bread and people are coming in and asking
1: what are your gluten free yeah, options. It's, well, it's it's complicated because you have there's a, there seems to be – I mean, I am, I am not an expert. I'm trying to figure out how to both meet the needs of our customers but also stay true to our mission and our values. So um, it's, it's hard because what you have is what I – my understanding is that we have 1 to 3 percent of the population who are celiac, for whom it's toxic, essentially. So those people – I can't make a loaf of bread in my bakery – for those people to eat, because there's so much wheat flour in the environment, there's so many ingredients, the cross contamination. It's not a dedicated kitchen. So if I can't meet the needs of those people who have the toxicity issue with it, and then so then the digestibility issue stuff, um, I what I am what I've been talking to a lot of people from wheat breeders to nutritionists to um, you know, even sociologists and historians who are looking at the place of wheat and bread in our society over years, is that it seems that there is something about fermentation. Um, the wheat belly diet thing wants to make it about the the the, um, the the breeding that happened about the stock of the wheat. That by shortening the stock of the wheat, we we change the quality of the. Of the protein and the gluten which is not true like those things are separate according to the cytogeneticist that i spoke with at oregon state (laughs) um so but what there seems to be evidence is that what has changed over the last hundred years dramatically and especially in the food industry in general but in baking is mechanization and what we did when we mechanized it is we stopped long fermentation and we needed higher protein wheats to be able to be tortured by those machines that are churning out the bread mechanized. You go to any large-scale commercial bakery and the bakers are in white lab coats and they never touch dough. They are they are touching buttons. That's what they're doing. So... Um, I'm current. And I'm and and I've more than I mean I've met a lot of people recently who are like you know I tried your peasant levan and I actually could eat it. I felt good after eating it, and so my hope, what I'd like to work on is educating people about slow fermentation, which um, you know ninety nine percent of our loaves are made over a twenty four to thirty six hour process are have very little commercial yeast in them. Um, I think that um, that focusing on whole grains, complete foods, and foods that have been fermented. I, I'm hoping will help this population of people who are having, but I don't see us doing a designated gluten-free loaf just because of that issue of the cross-contamination without we, What we'd have to do is like our, um, you know, our friends and competitors in Seattle essential um, they have a gluten-free line but they don't make it themselves they've co-packing it you know someone else is making it for them in a designated thing so I appreciate that they've taken that place and I like to be able to refer people to them because because we really like those guys and I like George a lot who's the who's the owner and head baker there but um you know it's I'm not sure it's ever going to be our place on the flip side on the cafe side we what we're trying to do and we're just about to launch a new menu in the first couple weeks of, of April is that we are we're going to cut back some of our Pure sandwich offerings, and we're actually going to put some more protein-heavy, seasonal vegetable, um, sort of some more plant-based and salad-based dishes on the menu, so that we hope that people who are coming in, those people, I feel badly for people who are like, I want the turkey sandwich without any bread, and you get this like pile of stuff on the bread. Well, it's like if that's what you want, well, then let's make that a nice thing. Let's 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 fluff up some greens for you, and let's put some better ingredients that go nicer together, that are you know more meant to fill
0: that that is uh that's very generous of you i think as a bakery to say we're going to cut back on our bread and our sandwiches and, and <laughs> well, we're also a everything. sandwichery
1: you know so it's well, like we're both <laughs> well, but, yeah
0: but a salad isn't a sandwich yeah so yeah um and i know lardo does that too sorry to mention him again but I, all right. I, I, I just time I, over there yeah
1: i i love them
0: and uh he he'll put anything on a, on a salad um, so where do you see Grand Central in five years where do you what's the trajectory you're on
1: I, well we it's funny we're, we're spending a lot of time thinking about that um you know I I honestly don't know um, we we know that we need to grow in order to um, continue you know we need to grow and improve efficiencies in order to um, continue to be profitable and improve our profitability we kind of we we've I, um, I'll try this out on you. My new language that profit is the fuel for our mission, and whether that mission continue, you know, our core mission is to serve customers delicious food. So how that manifests? What I love about that is it leaves us a lot of a lot of leeway. We could, um, we 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 could explore the Seattle market more, which I think we're underrepresented in, and and stay steady in Portland. Um, I'm interested in some different concepts, perhaps exploring some different ideas of of kind of how to meet, I think Grand Central meets a certain kind of person's desires, but maybe we'd use our expertise in sourcing and um, quick service, um, high quality food to explore a different kind of of model. Um, We might, um, you know, go into much more into wholesale pastry, for example. Like currently we don't wholesale a lot of pastries. I think that's an opportunity. So there's just lots of opportunities, but I would, you know, my fantasy, if I could close my eyes in five years, would just to have, you know, You know, wonderful, satisfied customers and happy employees and have, you know, contributed more to supporting the local food economy and, you know, to continue um, just sort of this steady, organic pace of growth. You know, we haven't we didn't just show up here like this. You know, it's been it's been 20 years in Portland and 40 in Seattle. So it's it's a it's a we're not a we're not sort of a flash in the pan kind of place.
0: So we didn't talk much about you. Mm-hmm. per se so uh you're obviously a hard working person and you're a very intelligent person who put uh who's, who obviously puts your thoughts to work and uh and you can see it in the product that you have in the stores that you have but personally what do you you're young you got a lot of years in front of you what do you want to do personally outside of grand central bakery oh where would you like to see yeah. yourself I don't know. I, I mean, mean, travel is that?
1: Oh yeah, no. We have a great one, one, one awesome thing about Grand Central is we really believe in a work-life balance, and we all. I mean, there's no, there's no work martyrdom at, in our for anybody at work. Um, so, um, but I spend a lot of time on a bicycle. I have two wonderful dogs who I like to walk. I have a lovely partner named David who's awesome. Um, we like to. Um, I like to cook and entertain a lot. Um, we um I'm lucky my family and his family both are centered in the northwest, so we spend a lot of time with family. Um my mom has a farm. The farm I grew up on is just two hours east of here and my mom is um lives there most of the time and so we're able to spend time out there. And do um, you consult
0: with her on business issues? Oh she, yeah. For, she's yeah. part of that committee.
1: Yes. No, she she sits on our board and she always she's always interested. She's 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 very um she's both interested and very proud and lets us you know she likes to give us the reins but she's also very proud of what we've done. And Is she and,
0: the last word?
1: Um, no it, the last word I don't know if you ever like I don't know if in consensus there is I mean because we are you said committee and we really are like we don't have a hierarchy in our ownership group we have our partners are we're all kind of even in terms of so there isn't we usually we, we, we work it out until we agree.
0: So it's consen- or are tired. Is it <laughs> Is it usually unanimous, or do you get do you sometimes get to the point where it's a consensus vote?
1: Um, we generally come. We're amazingly aligned. I mean, we just we just went through this this process of of trying to re. We had a mission value statement, and then we we're like, we need to we need to work on this. And we we just went through this process with the whole ownership group and some key managers of how we were going to achieve it. And I was like, oh my god, this is going to take like a whole weekend retreat. It took us like two hours to agree on what our core mission was what our values that support that mission was and and how we want to implement it throughout i mean we we are amazingly aligned because i mean we are a brother a sister a husband and wife and two people who we've known for a really long time
0: right so everybody's been involved for a while so So you've lived and breathed that you don't have a lot of new blood in there saying no i want to put my mark on this i got an ego involved yeah so egos are pretty small i would imagine
1: smallish (laughs) <laughs> so, i wonder if you're
0: referring to yourself or other people
1: i think all of us it depends on the realm right. <laughs> i think we also know you know i'm not going to fight for turf with bob our cfo about no i want the budgets to look like this you know it's like he's the expert on how to create a budget i'm going to give him that you know i'm not going to argue with my brother about the best way to put together a d- he deals with all our equipment and and um facilities i'm not going to say no i want the hvac system to be over here i mean you know it's ridiculous
0: do you see the uh, economy affecting uh, positively affecting are we coming out of it did you have a couple of we tough...
1: are we are it's still what we're suffering And i don't from...
0: mean to imply that you needed to come out of something no, i'm just guessing no what well, was we... it but the first question is did you have yes, a tough time and we then...
1: did but luckily what we saw is a we we were able to react our best move was that um people there are two things that have happened fine dining dipped and people also stopped directly. Every chef decided that they no longer needed to put free bread on the table. And you will notice that around town where it's very rare to get, you know, the free bread and butter anymore. So those two things... And salt. And salt, exactly. They don't charge
0: you for it, but you have to ask. You have to ask
1: for it, exactly. Um, I know, butter and salt. <laughs> That's kind of where it all starts, right? And um, so we were lucky that we... We had because we, you know, because we aren't stuck in this idea that we only do crusty artisan breads. We actually were able to meet the need of the evolving sandwich and burger market in this town. That kind of came like I see the sandwiches and burger boom, the the lardos of the world came as a result of the fact that people all of a sudden wanted to go out and spend twelve dollars and not twenty, right? Mm-hmm. So we were there with their bun. And so that has made a huge that our our the the product mix changed, but our sales have continually improved even through the recession, which has been great.
0: That's fantastic. So, what do you see? Uh, we I asked you about the long term, short term in the next year. What's up for Grand Central? Any new stores coming online? New, uh, you said yeah. you've got new menus in yeah, April. Yeah, we
1: have a new menu in April. So look for an exciting selection of hearty seasonal salads coming in the spring, just in time for that one of the first. I just saw a draft at the menu featuring our spring chicken salad with asparagus and good chicken and... um so that's coming in have April. A map
0: on the wall of where the chicken came from. It, it, it,
1: I'll have. I have so we, oh, don't even get me started on chickens. <laughs> that's a whole other. That's a whole other that's podcast. podcast.
0: Um, and I think But ours we, come I from Mary's. They come
1: from California. I love
0: having you on. I, I've never met you before. <laughs> we could do another five podcasts.
1: But and yeah, and then we're opening a store. Um, we're actually sadly closing our Irvington store. Um, because we've had some rent and lease issues there, um, but we are happy to announce that we're going into Woodstock, which I think is going to be is Portland's next exploding neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Because I happen to know that sort of every every you know a ton of people live over there, and um, the neighborhood is really excited to have us, and we're really excited to be there.
0: You know, is it a is it a function just? You've got a number of locations. I just want to ask this. All of a sudden, I'm hearing about lease problems in the restaurant business. Is it a function of the economy that landlords are now thinking they uh, can get more? Um, I don't know. I don't, I'm just curious. I, I've never heard so many people talking about this. I don't problems.
1: know. I don't quite understand. I think there are two different kinds of – in our experience, there are two different kinds of land uh, landlords. You have big – like um, investment-based landlords who are just about the bottom line and they don't care who goes in their location and they just care that someone pays rent. And Portland's a booming enough economy still or a steady enough economy that they seem to believe that someone will go in. On the other side, wh- who we love to work with are independent Portlanders who own their own buildings and want us in there. And that's, for example, down in Woodstock, the, the owners of the building sought us out and they they know that we add value to their property, they know we add value to their community. Um, we we want to work with those people. We'd much rather support somebody's retirement of the building they've worked hard to own their own their whole life than we would to support some investment. You know, a lot of um, commercial property are, are actually just it's like it's just Blackstone. investment. Yeah, whatever you know and. So I think that there is more big commercial money in Portland, and maybe that's what's causing the lease issues, as opposed to more of the mom and pop, you know, right. you know, which I think is very Portland and very neighborhoody.
0: Okay. Well, I was glad to see um, your Fremont store mm-hmm. because I loved Fife. That was one of the uh-huh. first places I fell in love with in uh-huh. Portland, and then uh, I don't know it's what been- happened after that, but. It was really nice to see drive by one day and see Grand Central there and walk in the store and see a lot of happy faces. Yeah,
1: yeah, it it's um I felt there was a little sketchy a little time of instability in that building, but it's a great building, it's a great neighborhood and we're really happy to be there and Kevin's been a great landlord for us and it's um it's really it's really nice to be up there.
0: Well, super. I sincerely appreciate and I'm going to thank Heather for suggesting you come in and and speak and sit down and talk. Well, it's today. been great. It's, been, it's great. been great.
1: Maybe you can help us with that uh, communications issue, <laughs> the marketing issue. <laughs> well,
0: uh, you know what? You can help yourself by getting this podcast out there, and everybody else can help yes, you. All your will. employees can help by getting this podcast out uh, right we at the will. We will. We so. will.
1: It's been really fun to be here.
0: Thank you. Come again. I will. Have a good summer. Yeah, a can... fun summer I in will. farms. All right. <laughs> Okay, so if you heard the end of the intro, you heard that I have, it were 11, or how many episodes in? 13 episodes number in? Thir- I have never once now. pronounced Food Podcast PDX, I have to say it really slowly, correctly, so that's, uh, we were just getting a little kick out of that. Um, so sh- please share it uh, on Twitter and right at com. But that was Heather. Thank you for identifying Piper as a guest that we should talk to. I really enjoyed that.
2: Yeah, she's she's fantastic and I've I've met her several times throughout the years and whenever I've talked to her I just always felt like, you know, she knows what's going on. She's not just she's not not just, you know, creating a little bakery. She's really putting some thought into her product and a lot of thought. A lot of thought into it. well, and it's it's such a multifaceted business you know what I was thinking about and we talked about this a little bit after uh, we finished up with Piper but um, that so many companies put corporate culture and corporate values as an afterthought uh, in in creating a company well it's also
0: a negative in Portland so it's hard to even inject it because you have to keep it so stay away so loosey-goosey come off as a corporate entity
2: Right, you don't want to yes, you don't want to be you don't want to become the man, right? right. And so by osmosis, you're just going to absorb the cool quirky factor by nature of having uh, opening a shop here. But you know, I think it really does behoove you to put some thought into what are the what are the key attributes of this company? What are the key messages that you want your employees to communicate, in addition to just creating something that's delicious, and yes, we're going to work with our farmers and and make sure it's sustainable and and make sure that we're sourcing local product and what have you, but are we communicating what's great about this brand every single day in every interaction between the customer and and our employees? And I think a lot of times that's an afterthought here, And, and Piper, has that component down. It's absolutely clear. Well,
0: I also thought it was very interesting that you've got to spend X amount of dollars doing the right thing for employees, doing the right thing for sustainability. And then you come back around and say, okay, we've spent those dollars doing those things. Now we don't really have them left to market those values and Mm -hmm. talk about them. And then you've got on top of it, if we start talking about them, do we feel disingenuous? So. Um, I it was an interesting discussion and um, I'm glad to see them doing well
2: yeah it's great and it's a place that I still love going to with my family I take my parents there uh, I think my mom is probably fan number one uh, but uh, but yeah kudos to, to Piper and her family the family run business too it's it's run like she said by committee and uh, again you know, uh, I can't
0: see my family running that, no th- that a way. business like that. That would be, that would be a, just a reality show. Just have the business <laughs> and make money on the reality show. Um, but at any rate, that's they're on Twitter at Grand Central PDX or SEA at the end, substituting for PDX. Uh, the website is grandcentralbakery.com and uh, also on Instagram at Grand Central Bakery, and we are as i said earlier at right at the fork.com and please share this podcast
2: and subscribe